Well, we're going to turn back to Romans chapter 5, and I'd like to take the rest of our time together today to really focus on the cross, to remember the work that Jesus did for us. It was so great to be able to share communion together during our time of worship today, but I want to revisit that passage in Romans chapter 5, and then we're going to take a look at another couple passages. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bible, if you want to turn there and prepare uh, to read out of that. Uh, I think in the midst of our lives, in the business of our lives, and even in the midst of our worship experience so often that we we don't slow down and, and stop, and we don't remember the significance of the work of Jesus at the cross, that we would contemplate, that we'd really think about uh, the acts that he performed, the things that he did, the the pain that he subjected himself to, the, the obedience that he walked in, and what that really means for us. Every part of that journey to the cross, and then to the grave, and then ultimately the resurrection, Every part of it has significance, that there was nothing that was, uh, that, that was unimportant. There was nothing that was just uh, an add-on. Every part of it was significant. And there's a couple of things that I want to touch on today that I think are important for us to remember. And I, I, I encourage you, would you take time to reflect? And uh, if you're watching with, with some other people today, maybe even after service today, take some time to talk about it, to, to remember what Jesus has done. Consider the implications of the cross in your life, not just for now, but for eternity. Remember the work that Jesus did and then celebrate. It is so appropriate for us to celebrate that the cup and the, and the bread are, are elements of celebration. They're, they're not just for remembrance, that we would celebrate as we contemplate, as we remember what Jesus has done for us, that we would celebrate the victory that we have in Christ. So I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 5 once again, uh, starting in verse 6 this time, where let's read verses 6 through 11. And, and this is what it says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to pause there for a second. That, That... the, the Apostle Paul writes here twice, not just once. He says that we were powerless and that while we were still sinners, that we were absolutely helpless. And in this state, in this broken, powerless, sinful state, Jesus demonstrates his love. God demonstrates his love for us and dies for us. Christ died for us. Let's keep reading verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul does a masterful job as the master communicator that he is in, in, in Romans chapter 5 here, but, but all throughout the book of Romans, as he really speaks to the significance of the work of Jesus at the cross, that the significance and the power 
of Christ's death and his resurrection. And he says here that not only did Christ die for us while we were still sinners, that now that he has died for us and has risen again, how much more would we have life and blessing and reconciliation that, and that, that there would be this overflow in our lives because of what God has done for us? It's so, it's so hard to remember. It's, it's, it's difficult to, to think about what Jesus endured at the cross. I remember when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out and that movie so graphically displayed uh, the death of Christ on the cross and, and even understanding this, that it could not even fully really reveal what that, that whole ordeal must have been like. But to watch that and how, uh, how it impacted my emotions, how it impacted my senses and just how overwhelming that was, that Christ's death was agonizing, that Christ's death was painful, that it was excruciating, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life and he rose again. And so there is the remembrance of the sacrifice and there's the celebration and in, in the victory and the resurrection. And so Paul says here that, that, that we've been justified by his blood, that Christ's blood has, has made it so that we, our sin has been covered and we have been saved from God's wrath through him, that we are no longer enemies of God, but now we are not just friends of God, but we are sons and daughters of God. And if we were saved in his death, how much more in his life, in that resurrection power, has God caused our lives to, to overflow, to thrive? And as we consider that, that we would boast, you know, boasting uh, can can sometimes be viewed as a negative thing. Stop boasting. Stop telling everyone about how wonderful you are. But but I think here Paul is saying that we would boast in God, that we would declare, that we would declare and proclaim how great God is and what He has done in our lives. If we would slow down, if we would remember what God has done, that we would not be able to help but let it just bubble up from inside of us and speak to and, and tell anyone we can about God's great love because we have been reconciled to Christ, that we have been made whole, that we have been redeemed. I want to read out of Matthew chapter 26. This is the moment where Jesus shares the bread and the cup with his disciples. And there's a couple of significant, well, there's a lot of significant things, but there's a couple of things that I want to draw out today uh, in our time together. This is what it says in Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Make note of that. Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of, uh, from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I, I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus, in the upper room with his disciples, prior to him going to the cross, shares the cup and the bread, and he, 
he takes two elements that had been a part of the, the feast that they were celebrating, the Jewish feast that they were celebrating. These were familiar elements, but he now gives new significance to the bread and the cup. The bread being in the cup signifying God's provision for his people, that God would take care of, of his people, that he would provide for them no matter what, that that God's heart, that his loving heart would be to 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 nurture them and deliver them even as they would look back to God's deliverance of the, the, the Jewish people out of, uh, out of slavery in Egypt. But in this moment, Jesus gives new significance and he says, this is my body, take and eat, this is my body, the bread is my body, and take this cup and drink from it, this is my blood, that is the new covenant, this covenant that is poured out for the forgiveness of sin. I want to I want to talk and I want to unpack those two elements those two two portions of what Jesus says just a little bit. He says take and eat. Take and eat. And in this moment what Jesus does, one of the things that he does is he redeems the act that brought sin and shame into the world. As we look back at the book of Genesis, and I'll read the, the passage out of Genesis 3 here in just a moment, but it was in the garden with Adam and Eve as they were going about their business, and, and they were tempted by Satan. Eve is tempted by Satan to take and eat from this fruit that was forbidden by God. And the, t the point of temptation to her was this, that if you eat this fruit, that you will become like God that your eyes would be open and that there would be this revelation. And so they do. In fact, let's read Genesis 3, verses 6 or 7. It says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Listen to that. She took and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the moment. This is the moment where in, in this perfect creation, Adam and Eve, because of the free will that God gave them, make a decision to disobey God and sin and shame enter the world. In fact, the shame port portion is what we see right away. Their eyes are open and they realize that they are naked. There was no shame prior to that moment. But shame now enters the world and they walk in the shame and they have to cover themselves. And can I tell you, we've been doing the same thing ever since. We feel like we walk in shame. It's the thing that the enemy brings against us. Maybe in, in, not in a physical sense, but, but emotionally and spiritually in our lives that, that the enemy would want to heap shame upon shame upon us, that we would feel like we have to cover up that we have to hide, that we have to hide ourselves from each other, and we have to hide ourselves from the Lord. They blew it. They, they, they just blew it. They, they disobeyed. They did not do the thing that God had told them to do, and, and they went ahead and did what they wanted to do. Yet at that very moment, God is already moving to bring about redemption. That God is already moving to bring about redemption Dear ones, I want to tell you right now that we have moments, you and I daily have moments where we realize we just blew it, that we are not walking 
in line with and according to the things that God would want us to do and the ways that he want, would want us to act, that we walk and we, we struggle with this, this, this point of disobedience. In fact, Paul says in, in the book of Romans, he writes, he says, why is it that I don't do the things I'm supposed to do and the things that I'm supposed to do, I don't do those things. And, and he, he just keeps going back and forth and there's this, and he says, what a, what a wretched sinner I am. What a, what a wreck of a person that I am. But then he says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who, who delivers me, who, 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 who doesn't condemn me, that he doesn't heap shame on me, but that he frees me from that shame so that I can walk in him. And just like Adam and Eve, at the moment of their brokenness, at the moment of their disobedience, God is already on the move to bring about wholeness and restoration and redemption that would take place at the cross, that Jesus was being prepared to go to the cross at that very moment to fix, to redeem, to restore what had been broken. And so Jesus in this moment, because Jesus was present in the garden, now Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, recalling the words, recalling what happened when Adam and Eve took and they ate. And in that moment, brokenness and sin and shame entered that world. Jesus now redeems that. He redeems that act and says, take this body, take this bread, which is my body, take it and eat it. And that moment of sin, that moment of shame, that moment of brokenness, the moment when everything went off the rails, Jesus sets it right. He aligns things in his kingdom and he makes a way for us to walk in the kind of relationship and the kind of unity and the kind of intimacy that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden prior to the fall. Take and eat. Take and eat. As we shared the bread today, that we took and we, we partook in his body. We, we, we shared in the life-giving power of Christ's body that was broken for us. See, when we partake, we, we do two things. We're partaking of something that is for us. It is Christ's body, his body that was broken for you. His body that was broken for you. It was an incredibly intimate act that Jesus performed at the cross, that he went to the cross for you, for your sin. He knows your name. He knows your circumstance. Thousands of years before you were even born, Jesus knew you and he went to the cross for you. And so when you receive the bread, you are receiving something that is extremely personal and intimate. It's a declaration of Jesus's love for you. A, a tangible, a tangible declaration of his love for you. But there's another part of the body as well, because later on, Paul would talk about the, the church as being the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the, the body of Christ, the unity of the body of Christ, that we are one body, that we are the, the, the church as, as the fellowship of believers, that we are the body of Christ. And in sharing the bread in this moment, Jesus is also saying, when you take and you you, you receive and you eat this bread, you are now a part of something that is bigger than you as well, that his body, the church, that we are invited into fellowship, into a global family, 
into a family that, that spans the, the, the oceans and the continents and the miles and, and generations and time, that we're a part of this family, that there's part of our family that are already in heaven and there are those that haven't even been born yet. But we, when we take and we eat, we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of his church. What a powerful reminder, what a powerful picture of how much God loves us and the work that he's done, that he's invited us into something so immense, so huge. I shared in the weekly email this last week that this past Tuesday, there was a global online gathering of Foursquare pastors and leaders, and it was the first uh, of its kind. It was a live broadcast Uh, And we had people literally on every continent that were watching. And and it was a powerful time of worship and a powerful time of prayer. And I want to encourage you, if you go to, uh, in fact, if you go to foursquare.events, uh, we'll make the link available in in the in the chat and in the comment section. But you can go and it's about a two hour service, and I encourage you to check it out. But it was so amazing to think that there were men and women and children uh, around the globe, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, in this moment participating in a little glimpse of heaven, where we will stand around the throne and worship God together. Church, that is the family that we've been invited into that we are a part. So when Jesus says, take and eat, that it is both for us, but it is also an invitation into something so much bigger. And then he seals it with the cup. He says, this is my cup, the, the, my blood, this, this symbol of this new covenant. It's this shedding of the blood that seals the promise. Now, Jesus says, I will forgive your sin, that I will bring redemption, and I'm inviting you to be a part of my kingdom, a part of my family. In fact, he says to the disciples, I will not share of this cup again until we share it in his kingdom. And we will all be a part of that, that when Jesus shares of the cup again, we will be there. We will be a part of that moment, and it will be amazing. You see, a covenant is a promise that cannot be broken, and Jesus seals this covenant, this promise in his own blood. That is through his blood that our sin is forgiven, and it is through his blood that the promise of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life is sealed once and forever, that that promise cannot be broken. So I want to remind you today that in Christ, Your shame has been covered. There is no shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your shame has been covered. It doesn't matter what you're walking through, what you're struggling through. Bring those things to Christ. Lay them at the the foot of the cross and remember that your shame has been covered by Jesus, that your sins are forgiven, that when you turn to Christ, that in Christ, because of his death and because of his resurrection, and Paul says, because of his life, how much more do we share in the victory and the promise of life that comes because of the victory of Jesus over death and the grave? Your sins are forgiven and that you are part of the family of God that you are an insider, that you are not an outsider, that you are a son and you are a daughter, that you are deeply and dearly and eternally loved by the Father. These are the reminders of the communion elements. This is the reminder of the bread and the cup. 
And so I want to encourage you today, would you take time, would you contemplate, would you remember, would you celebrate what Jesus has done for you? Would you daily remember and celebrate what Jesus has done for you? When you face difficult moments, when you come into places of temptation, remember what Jesus has done for you. You were loved, you were valued, you were redeemed, you were saved. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We celebrate today. Would you just say thank you out right now out loud? Would you just thank him for what he's done? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, what you for what you have done for us, for me, for each of us. We give you praise. Thank you for the salvation that has come because of your obedience to go to the cross, to surrender your body to that death. And then that resurrection, that glorious resurrection from the death, where you once and for all conquered sin and death and the grave. Thank you, God, that we do not walk in shame, but that we walk victorious because of the work that you have done for us. Help us, Lord, to remember daily our victory in Jesus. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to invite you, if you're watching this service today and you've not said yes to Jesus, if you have not received him to be your Lord and your Savior, you've heard what I've said today and you've watched what's happened in this service, and maybe there's something tugging in your heart that would, would, would lead you to say, I want to be a part of this, that tugging would be the, the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to himself. And if that's you, I want to give you opportunity to say yes. It's just simply... Uh, saying yes to him, saying, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sin and I turn to follow you. Would you be the Lord of my life? All you have to do is say those words. Say those words to Jesus. If that's you, would you just say those words right now? And as you do, the Bible says that you are saved, that when you would put your faith and your trust in him, when you would confess with your mouth, that you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that, that Jesus died for you and rose again, that you will be saved. If that's you, if you said yes to Jesus today, we'd love to know. Would you let us know by either clicking the connect card link above and, and sending us a note to say, I said yes to Jesus, or even say in the chat, I said yes to Jesus. We'd love to follow up with you. Church, I love you. God bless you. Have an amazing week. We look forward to seeing you next time.